Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. The more you ship, the more you save. With Canada Post Solutions for Small Business, we'll reward your repeat business with automatic savings. Visit CanadaPost.ca forward slash small business to see how you can start saving up to 34% on shipping in Canada. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. And we are thrilled to have Nicole Verkint, founder and CEO of OMX, on the show today. Nicole is the founder and CEO of Canadian technology company, OMX, theomx.com. OMX is a powerful procurement platform specialized in driving socioeconomic returns. The platform measures local and socioeconomic impacts, including ESGs, or environmental, social, and corporate governments indicators, and other sustainability metrics. Previously, she led a high-tech manufacturing business. Nicole is on the board of the CCC, or Canadian Commercial Corporation a Canadian crown corporation that performs government-to-government contracts between Canada and other countries around the world. She's a frequent technology commentator on CBC and columnist for Vanguard magazine focusing on technology. She was a dragon on CBC's Next Gen Dragon's Den, which was dedicated to early-stage technology businesses. She was named Startup Canada's National Women Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017 and received the Canadian Advanced Technology Peter Brogia Award for Next Generation Leadership. She also joined Gimlet Media's show, The Pitch, as the fourth investor for the 2018 season. She's on the board of Canadian Chamber of Commerce and a next-gen member of the Business Council of Canada, as well as the co-chair of the BCC's Task Force on Canada's Economic Growth. In 2019, she was named Startup Canada's Women Ambassador of the Year, and she was also recently named one of Canada's Top 40 Under 40. Nicole is here today to talk to us about procurement and entrepreneurship in Canada. And welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Nicole, just before we dive into our conversation today, I wanted to know what's the number one thing you want entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation? Oh, gosh, we could go anywhere with this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, number one thing, I think I'm a huge fan. I've said it a few times on some startup podcasts um, with, 
with Startup Canada. I'm a huge fan of shifting the conversation to talk about like the true reality of what it's like. So that's the number one thing people can take away is that anyone who's ever done anything um, startup wise, it's it's never been a quick, it's very rarely a quick thing and it's never been a straight line and it's never been super easy. So I think if, I think the more we have these conversations around the true multiple failures that happen along the way, the better. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it really is, uh, it takes a village, as they say, mm-hmm. to raise a kid and raise a business, I would think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So moving on from there, uh, would you be able to give us an overview of OMX and what drove you to start it? Well, I was in the manufacturing sector before, and I was actually selling into government, and I was um, doing all of this reporting um, on my own, and I remember feeling like it was very inefficient. You know, we were using consultants and brokers in the middle. Um, We were not using technology or anything online, and So when I first started the company, I had this very narrow scope and it was really around trying to solve my own problem around some of this reporting and access to um, companies who had government procurement. So that's how it started. It's Mm -hmm. obviously widened that scope out quite significantly. Um, And now, you know, we're doing a lot of work outside of that scope um, where we're working. And I know we're going to get to this, but um, in the more general uh, area of helping assisting companies deliver on their ESG objectives, objectives, which is primarily investor driven. So um, it's obviously widened out quite significantly. But in the very early days, it was really around solving a very specific problem that I had. Mm -hmm. And that problem was related specifically to uh, kind of modernizing the processes around procurement and really just getting things as up to date as they could and save time and efficiency. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. And building on that, since last year, how have you seen things change in the procurement landscape in Canada? Oh, boy. I mean, the unfortunate thing is there's still a huge portion that never changes. And I saw a stat recently that only 17% of um, Canadian established enterprise businesses, only 17% of their day-to-day activities are actually digitized. And so I think there's still a huge way to go. And it's shocking um, how long that tail is in terms of change, um, especially in internal procurement systems there, it takes a long time to change. So I'll just say that. I think there's definitely a huge shift towards procurement professionals being seen in a more strategic light. So what I mean by that is when I was growing up in the manufacturing sector and about 10 plus years ago, when I was working in manufacturing, there was this culture around heads of procurement having essentially one job, and that is to keep reducing the price of what they procure. And so they would have their bill of materials, they would have to procure those things. Um, They would obviously need their suppliers to meet the specifications. So that's sort of table stakes. But then from there, their job was just to keep reducing the price. And I remember even incentivizing our procurement teams in my manufacturing business, based on the amount they could reduce the price from suppliers. And so That traditionally has always, in my view, sort of been the role of procurement professionals. The change that I've seen in the last decade, especially in the last couple of years, is I think more and more large corporations are starting to see their chief procurement officers as absolutely part of the senior management team, as absolutely critical in delivering on strategic objectives far beyond um, just 
basic bill of material where you check the box and find suppliers that meet the specs. So what I mean by that is, let's say a big corporation, they know that R&D and innovation is absolutely the way they're going to stay relevant with their customer base for the next five, 10 years. Well, guess what? The chief procurement officer should be absolutely key in finding the most innovative suppliers to partner with, not just buy things from, but actually co-develop and co-innovate. And so that's sort of the innovation front. Corporations also know that they could make or break huge contracts in, in, I specialize in infrastructure, mining, energy, um, and government procurement. So you could get a mine approved or not approved based on who you're partnered with from a supply chain perspective. And so that chief procurement officer all of a sudden becomes critical in actually getting approval to build, say, a new mine or get the contract to build a huge infrastructure project and not only win it, but then keep it sold in the sense that you don't lose the contract because you have these partnerships with local suppliers. And so we're starting to see chief procurement officers become critical in the execution of key innovation in R&D, critical in the execution of ESG objectives, um, local spend objectives, um, government relations, stakeholder relations. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. Procurement officers are also key in reducing risk. And a lot of risk for corporations is in their supply chain. The average percentage of spend that happens in a supply chain is over 70%. And so more than 70% of what a company spends total is in their supply chain. And so where do you think all that risk is? And so we're starting to, I've seen a huge shift in the role that chief procurement officers are playing in corporations, and they're starting to be seen much more strategically and much more critically around the future of business, not just, okay, now that we've made all the key decisions, you go and find suppliers and reduce their cost. Right. So it's almost fitting their role into like the key overall strategy, as opposed to just saying, here's your one job and go out and fill this bill. It's instead of no, make a, the foundation for a solid partnership that we can carry on from day one and continue to build on. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so key. And, um, more and more we're seeing this desire to bring startups into supply chains, this desire to bring local companies, this desire to achieve diversity objectives, to um, know who your suppliers' suppliers are so you can map out if there's risk there, if there's PR risk, all that kind of stuff. So I think all of these topics are now falling under procurement and starting to become just so much more important. And that actually uh, is a great lead into the next question I had for you was, how are you hoping to be a louder voice in advocating for this procurement modernization and for better service within the ecosystem and supply chain for Canadian entrepreneurs, particularly women entrepreneurs? Well, we're constantly talking about the merits of seeing your supply chain as an opportunity to you know, do better for your local community to support innovation, to support, um, obviously, women entrepreneurs. Um, I've always said, you know, I am so sick of hearing all these really nice preambles around different organizations supporting women entrepreneurs. You know, you hear it, all sorts of stuff. We've all seen it. And we've come to this time where I think if you're a woman entrepreneur, you don't care anymore if people say that they want to support you. You just want people to buy from you. That's all you want. And that's that's the way that you're going to grow. That's the way that you're going to eventually raise capital. That's the way you're going to build a team, et cetera. Nothing else helps except people buying from you. It's really that simple. And so 
the area where organizations and government can have a real impact is in their procurement strategies. And even if they don't buy directly from women entrepreneurs, they could they could incentivize their suppliers to include women entrepreneurs in their supply chains. So it's it truly is a trickle down effect in that sense. But I mean, just put your money where your mouth is, stop talking and actually set some targets within your supply chain goals and and your procurement teams will hit them if there are true targets set from a leadership perspective. I think you really hit it on the head when you said, put your money where your mouth is. And on that note, uh, how do you think, or how would you see an organization like Startup Canada, for example, taking an active role in really kind of pushing action towards uh, the action that needs to happen for this kind of support for local uh, supply chains, businesses, local entrepreneurs to feed into this larger ecosystem? Well, Startup Canada is a huge advocate of of um, of this exact topic, and, and I know Startup Canada is already talking to you know government as a starting point, but any of the large corporations you partner with that sponsor you, etc. Startup Canada has been a huge advocate there, but I I really do think a big portion of the influence Startup Canada has is with government, and so if we start there, and government starts to say to its large contractors, um, you know we're going to give you a few extra points in the evaluation by demonstrating that you're working with Canadian innovators, with women entrepreneurs, with local companies, et cetera. I mean, our IT spend happening from a government level is still so concentrated with foreign government, foreign companies, I'm sorry. If you look at the Canadian government's IT spend, they are spending all their money with SAP, Microsoft, IBM. Fine, those are great companies. But where are those companies incentivized work to work with local Canadian innovations. I mean, there's just so many, my company included integrates with SAP, for instance, but if the SAPs of the world don't see the government actually incentivizing and actually um, encouraging those partnerships, then it just stops right there because um, everyone's going to do what's going to make them the most amount of money and partnering with Canadian startups doesn't necessarily do that. So um, I think that's the, a good role for Startup Canada is to start there, start by um, working alongside our government to kind of start that process. And then um, I know Startup Canada works with, with ITAC, the IT Trade Association as well. And, you know, that, that organization has members and we could keep it going from there. But it's got to start somewhere and then it's, it'll, it should continue. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm taking notes, I'll tell you that much. Can you speak to how you see supplier diversity changing in the Canadian entrepreneurial landscape? Ooh, yeah, I, I'm starting to see more and more um, incentives to to know who your supply chain is and to improve on the diversity of it. So I'll just say that sort of generically. I used to work primarily in the U.S., so we were a Canadian company, but all of our sales were with the U.S. government, and um, we had some pretty significant diversity targets, and we were very comfortable delivering on them. It was absolutely just part of our um, way that we worked. In fact, we as a company got a lot of business um, from the U.S. government because of certain diversity-related uh, set-asides. So we were a small business, and we were located in a, in a hub zone, which was a region in the United States that um, was em- economically uh, disadvantaged. And so I was very comfortable working in that system. I always have. And, and frankly, you see it when a government just mandates it, then everyone just does it. I mean, it just happens that easily. So I don't see sort of the mandating culture here in Canada so much. You know, we don't really see a lot of companies say, well, we have to buy 
um, from a certain percentage of, of local or, or indigenous or small or women owned or any of those types of diversity metrics. So we're not seeing that as much really in Canada. I mean, you see it, I, I guess, in the Canadian defense industry, but even then it's not really mandated percentages. So, but I do see more of a change from a proactive perspective. And I, and the tie-in that I see is actually tied to ESG. So ESG stand for environmental social governance goals. Um, there's also the UN SDG goals. These are international goals. Um, and the key with the ESGs, the reason why they're effective is that they are being absolutely pushed down from the investor community. So if you think of large pension funds, huge amounts, billions and billions of dollars of uh, assets under management, so money they're managing for organizations, they're the ones basically moving to their publicly traded companies and asking for reporting and certain metrics on ESG objectives. That is where um, I'm starting to see a big shift. It's not really diversity. It's more what are the environmental and social impacts that you're having from your supply chain? Because supply chain is making up such a big percentage of your spend. Um, but that's where I'm seeing some absolutely huge shifts. And I think it, it all comes down to that. It's, it's who's asking for it and what's the level of accountability. So my example with the U.S. government, U.S. government required it. They said, guess what? You're not going to have any more contracts unless you meet these diversity requirements. And guess what? Everybody did it. So it was just that straightforward. We don't really have that in Canada. But we are starting to see a shift driven by the invest, the global investment community. Um, the BlackRock CEO is one of the first people to come out and uh, issue a letter a few years ago, which really, in my view, started a lot of this. Um, but we're starting to see that. And it's, it, that's pretty exciting, in my view. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like top down crack of the whip thing that you think is really what's going to line up increased diversity. But what you would say is that uh, from the outset now, it's more of a trickle down from the global economic approach to these uh, SDG goals. So, yeah, I would say normally the crack of the whip methodology is what's effective. But in this case, this feels more like an incentive type system. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's certain hedge funds and, and asset managers that are only going to invest in publicly traded companies that meet certain ESG objectives. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and moving from there onto a little bit more of a micro scale. So specifically within, uh, specifically within Canada, what are you excited uh, to be seeing for entrepreneurship upcoming in Canada and how these companies are scaling up? Well, I, I think that the support systems have never been better in Canada for entrepreneurship. I think we've had, if you look at when I started in entrepreneurship more than 10 years ago, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a popular thing to do. It was, you know, this was, I started in it before the 2008 financial crisis and it was much more attractive for people to go into banking and, you know, similar type jobs. And so now all of a sudden it just feels like entrepreneurship has become cool, which is good because that's what will attract more and more people into it. So that's good. That's exciting. And Startup Canada has played a huge role in creating that culture and, and getting the excitement around entrepreneurship in general. But I'm sorry, we have a long way to go in terms of actually having large corporations working with and buying from startups. It is a huge problem we have um, you look at the United States and um, startups sell into companies much easier there. I know because I'm one of them and I know a lot of colleagues and other um, entrepreneurs that have the exact same experience. It's quite sad. Um, so we have a long way to go in terms of getting established corporations in Canada to actually commit to partnering and buying from startups. 
because if we can only sell to American companies and we can only raise money from American funds, then we're all going to move to the States. That's just what's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's what's going to end up happening and which is not what we want. So Mm -hmm. I think we have a long way to go and we cannot rest on our laurels. Like, yes, it's become more exciting and more popular and we've never had more early stage funding available. And there's so many good metrics moving in the right direction, but we, we cannot be proud of ourselves yet because it is still way too hard, way too hard for an entrepreneur to get to the second step, to get past that valley of death. And it's all related to driving sales. And that was actually, uh, that was a great lead into my next question, which you basically answered as well, which was, um, what are those consistent gaps uh, you see with regards to entrepreneurship in Canada? And so in your opinion, a lot of them then would come from just this kind of lack of, of involvement from um, your perspective of Canadian corporations uh, not giving the same kind of support uh, environment that you would find in the U.S. and that's eventually what just ends up causing uh, you know this migration south and uh, solely because uh, our entrepreneurs in Canada here aren't getting the uh, the support that they need from the existing kind of business structures, the existing uh, powerful players in the game in Canada, and it's it's really what's just kind of driving people out of the fort or driving people out of the uh, out of the equation up here. Mm-hmm. Or they're failing, right? A lot of them, a lot of them are failing for that reason. Um, and, and so I think it all comes down to this culture of risk. And so it was great that Canadian companies, especially our banking system, did not take as big a risks as American companies. You know, we did well relative during the 2008 crisis, but, you know, we're well over 10 years past that. And I think our, our, our Achilles heel is our inability to take any risk whatsoever. And if you look at our, our economic trends right now, if you look at some of the leading indicators of our economy, we are not doing very well. The entire economy in Canada, the only reason that we've done well over the last few years is we're riding the coattails of the U.S. stock market, essential, that growth that we've seen in the U.S. stock market the last few years. So if you look at some of those leading indicators we need to innovate. We absolutely need to bring a ton of innovations into our traditional sectors, like the energy sector, like all of our sectors. Or otherwise, we're not going to export and sell around the world. and We're not going to mm-hmm. grow our economy. Less than 6% of our exports are related to tech. That is unbelievably weak. It, it's, it's very, very, very low. And we are filing way less um, patents. So the, my point is the root of what drive what will drive our economy 5 10 20 years from now those metrics are absolutely going in the wrong direction so we need to we know we I think we need to wake up a little bit we've been so comfortable we've been so lucky here in Canada you know our entire economy has been driven primarily by a strong extractives market um, and the banking sector. And we need to really uh, start applying all these innovations that so many smart people have and they want to start, but we need to actually insert them into our traditional companies um, to, to be able to grow and create a value proposition that's different, that can sell around the world. Mm. And this seems to come full circle from the start of the conversation as well, talking about uh, methods of you know um, procurement modernization as well. It's taking the innovations that we have on a smaller scale in Canada and finding out where they can be basically slotted into the system to, to upgrade them as it is. It's almost like, you know, taking just uh, just better parts that you have uh, lying around the shop and putting them into a car or putting them into, into like a computer's motherboard or something like that and just 
upgrading your speed, upgrading your memory, upgrading your your efficiency, everything like that. And it's uh, and when yeah, when when you frame it that way, it definitely does sound like this is something in Canada that needs to have um, not only increased emphasis on doing, but increased. Uh, you did mention that the supports now are better than they ever were. But um, it really seems like it's something that just needs to kind of, it, it seems like it's fruit that's ripe and just needs to be ready to, to picked by the big industry in Canada. Yeah. And look, I think it's a, a change of way of looking at it. And so I think in the past, companies would help startups because it was almost like their charity work. They were trying to be nice to startups. I mean, that's not why you should help startups or work with startups. It's because your competitiveness is at stake. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, I'm, I know of a startup that's, doing something in the construction industry and they're really streamlining the ticketing, for instance, like all these construction workers that come on sites still today in Canada, for the most part, they're using these paper ticketing systems that you can't track. And there's all these, you know, downsides to it. Well, you shouldn't be working with that startup because you, it's like, it's this giving back portion of your company's strategy. You should do it because you know that the American companies are already doing it and they are going to get ahead of you because they're inserting those technologies through all their processes, which is making them so much more competitive mm-hmm. than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's better. Uh, I mean, we're already playing catch up, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems it seems like that's the case. And it's yeah, it's a matter of just not losing that competitive edge. We just have to stop being so nice, yeah. <laughs> right? We sh- we need to start to want to win, and to want to win, you have to take some risks. And you have to go out of your mm-hmm. comfort zone. Yeah, because that's where growth starts. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, change tack a little bit. You're on the Business Council of Canada. You were the co-chair of a report that just came out. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and some of the recommendations for business that came out of it? Sure. So um, I co-chaired the Task Force for Canada's Economic Prosperity. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a, it was essentially a deep dive into what those, I call them leading indicators that are holding Canada back and some of those root causes of some of our, the things that are holding our economy back, right? I'll call it that. So if you look at just one metric, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but ease of doing business. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada was, oh my gosh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think we were sixth or something in 2006. We were in the top 10 and we've consistently dropped spots. And these are out of like the developed, the major developed countries in the world. And last year we dropped down to 22nd. And then this year they just released their numbers again. This is the world bank ease of doing business. And we've dropped down again to 23rd. I'll pull up these real numbers. But the point is the reason why that's important is it says so much about everything. So basically you can't get a building permit in less than, you know, it takes three times longer to get a building permit in Canada than the U S. you know, you, the paperwork and the administrative burden and the three levels of government you have to deal with just to get a business started and going. It's kind of the root cause of so many of our problems. So here I have the numbers in front of me now. We were fourth in 2006. We were 22nd in 2019. And uh, three weeks ago, the 2020 numbers came out and they had us falling one more spot to 23rd. So it's the World Bank Ease of Doing Business Index and it ranks regulatory environment. So our regulatory environment is so bad in Canada and it's like the whole world knows. They know that we can't get a pipeline built. We can't get major infrastructure pro- projects built. And if you start a company here and you want to do a small expansion on the side of your building and you want to get a permit, it's going to take you three times longer than what in the States. So that's not, if you notice, that's not 
I mean, our job market is doing really well. Unemployment is quite low. And like I said, our economy and our stock market is doing well because of the U.S. But this this metric is, to me, it's the root of so much. And it says so much about the foundation of what we have here and what we're building. And so um, one of the biggest findings from the study is is that the root of a lot of our issues truly is regulatory burden. Um, and that, I think they indicated that was the first, second, third, and fourth priorities to come out of the report. Um, so we looked at stuff like that. We looked at exports. I mentioned um, a stat earlier about how very little of our exports are related to technology or innovation. And that's that's not great. I think Korea was four times better than us. Um, and so we're obviously trying to drive exports. We're trying to create a business environment that's competitive. Um, we talked a lot about our tax, the tax policies in Canada and how complex they are and how they, they really need a redo, a total overhaul, a total review of the tax policy to see how we can use it to incentivize investments in um, innovation and new businesses here in Canada. So we looked at those primary things. But you are right. We didn't just release a report. We, we waited till the end of the after the election. We released the report right after the election um, because the report was for anyone in government. And frankly, there was zero partisan ties to this report. It was purely about wanting to grow the country and our business community, which we know is what funds the social programs that we also want. So those things are connected. And it's crazy that we have to remind people of that. But um, but you're right. We didn't just issue a report telling government what to do. We also included in the report a number of things that we recommend business do. And uh, the last one on that list was to look at procurement policies and how they can be used to st support the startup and innovation community. So um, that was a very key recommendation in the report. Um, and we've done that to sort of signal, look, it's not just about government buying from startups. It's about all of the large corporations that are here, um, you know, using startups as a, as a way to improve their innovation. It's not, like I said, it's not about a handout to the startup community. Yeah. And, and I think that's exactly kind of the, the real key point of this conversation is that, um, really what needs to happen in Canada is just the, the best use of the available tools, uh, seem to be what needs to have an emphasis placed on it. And it's, it's a matter of, uh, exactly, you're exactly right in saying that it's not, uh, it's not a handout to the startup community. It's more of a hand up in the sense that it's like, you know, we see you, we recognize you and we see the value that you have, uh, not only in, you know, what it is you're doing for yourselves, but how you could overall, uh, impact the innovation and efficiency of, you know, any multi-level things on, uh, on a national global scale, uh, within this country. And, and I think that's really what the theme of this conversation has been today is more just uh, increasing efficiency at, at all levels, uh, particularly starting from the top down and just seeing how that has a reverberating effect throughout the entire economy, the entire startup ecosystem, the entire uh, Canada's place on the global stage, really. Mm -hmm. I'll also just say if anyone wants to check the report out, um, they can go to the website. It's about Canada.ca. So it's about Canada.ca. We'll direct you to that report. Um, and it's nice and um, crisp and short enough that you're not going to be bombarded with hundreds of pages. But um, I'll also say that it was really amazing to get the CEOs of the leading couple hundred companies in Canada together over three days. We came up with so many more recommendations than are in that report. We had to vote um, amongst members and make sure that the recommendations reflected all the membership. But there was hundreds of recommendations. So we are not 
for lack of incredibly smart people and really serious talent in this country. And when, you know, we got those folks together, the ideas that came out, and even after that process, we went across all across Canada and we did roundtables with other leaders in, in major cities and engaged um, stakeholders that were not related to the business community as well. And again, we got tons and tons of feedback and so many ideas. And so we're not for lack of good ideas. It's now, now we got to do the work and, and actually execute some of the, the key items. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nicole, just before we wrap up our conversation today, uh, on a final note, is there anything you'd like to add for our audience? Anything you'd like to give off to entrepreneurs? Any last bits of advice? <laughs> I don't have a lot of advice. I've made so many mistakes. I think I just, to let entrepreneurs know that what you're doing is really important. And it's not because you're creating a business with couple you know some employees small or big it doesn't matter but what you're doing is important for the bigger picture because of what i've talked about because of the impacts you can have on helping bigger companies they need you more than they than you think that they do um so i think just to leave people with that idea that what you're doing is so critical for the country um please stay in canada and and continue to muddle through this um sometimes not easy environment um, to work in, but uh, and what you guys are doing here at Startup Canada as well is, is so important. So thank you. Well, we can all make it better together, right? Mm-hmm. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a joy talking with you. Um, it was great to see that, like again, get a whole comprehensive kind of view of not only what needs to change in Canada, but how you think it needs to change. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Not a problem, Nicole. All the best. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 